Welcome to the Lanky Guys. We are here with a brand new surprise. You sound like a lump, like a, I'm trying to think of what kind of an advertisement you sound like. Right dude, now. a Tide commercial. <laughs> yeah, that, was, that was, yeah. Dude, that, that particular time. Dude, I, I, my father, my friend, Father Ben Dallas. He, he sent me a text, and he's like, "Dude, he's like, if I was in advertising, then I basically I would mic drop and walk away and say this is the summit of my entire uh, career." The, the Tide commercials. We're talking about the Tide commercials at the Super Bowl with the, uh, the cop from Stranger Things. Yeah, dude, it's just I, I, am like, I'm a big fan. By the way, this is the Word on the Hill podcast. We are the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. That's Father Peter Mussett over there. Please oh, continue. I, I don't want to break up that train What did your dad, your dad was in advertising, right? He was. He Wasn't was. he an advertising man? For like, he was Don Draper, right? <laughs> is that based on him? <laughs> it that is. character? Yes, absolutely. Oh no, it's not. But like, yeah, no, he was in advertising forever, man. That was like, he he ran an advertising company out of my house the whole time I was growing up. And uh, Has he run all the companies out of your house? Yeah. Because that's cool. Yeah, dude. It's right? like, yeah, we call it the submarine, man. <laughs> just like dude it's just everything in one space it's the best man that's but that's like how i live too it's like i've realized that increasing (laughs) hence our studio hence our studio slash sitting place slash sitting place slash man cave slash um you know production area (laughs) for various and interesting things Bric-a-brac. Bric-a-brac. I actually have one box in here. It's right behind your head. That's what made me think of it. Yeah, it's labeled bric-a-brac. Yeah, because, I mean, come <laughs> on. When you're in the thrift store and you find bric-a-brac, dude, it's the best. Do you remember when we almost made a documentary about a thrift store? Oh, no, dude. Don't we don't bring that sorry, up right sorry, now. Sorry, That's sorry, like sorry. one of my favorite things. Okay. And if I we'll can't talk about it, then it's going to hurt me inside. <laughs> sorry. Every, right. Everyone's world, dude. E world, dude. Okay, so uh, today is the sixth Sunday in ordinary time. We can't talk this much. This is Sorry. we've talked we've talked more than we normally do. No, that's not true. Okay, being the one who edits these, that's not true. Okay, sixth, <laughs> the sixth Sunday in ordinary time, dude. Why is that? sixth sar- sixth Sunday? It's really hard. That th at the end. It's also early morning when we're recording this, and the mouth isn't quite. You know, we haven't uh, articulated that much yet. Yeah, it's lim- It's not yet limberized. <laughs> Yes, elephantized, <laughs> Gigant, Giant, giantized, giantized. We were reading a book about giantism. Careful, yeah, about giantism. Small is still beautiful by Joseph Pierce. Joseph Pierce. Economics as if families mattered. Oh, it sounds like a fascinating book. It actually, yeah, my, you got my, me really intrigued. Yeah, Neil Musset, your brother, my brother, <laughs> recommended it to me because nice. he he loves Joseph Pierce. Joseph Pierce, uh, I believe, now works for the Augusta Institute. Oh, which nice, kind of cool. Yeah, does he do piercing there or something? <laughs> All right. On that note, <laughs> that doesn't even merit a response. It really doesn't. So, um, by the way, this uh, the February 11th is the uh, Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes. So, if you're going to Our Lady of Lourdes, then this Sunday is for you. Oh, Our Lady of who? Uh, that's um, Father Brian. Father Larkin. Brian Larkin. Yep. Oh. And all, and all of the awesome work that he's doing there. He's one of he's ours. A good. He's. You know, we were roommates. You were as focused missionaries. We were focused missionaries slash roommates up in Montana. Dude, that's the best. Oh yeah, Leviticus thirteen one to two forty four to forty six. That is a big a jump. Big dude. jump. What 40... are we missing in the middle there? Did you not read it? No. Oh, it's the best. <laughs> it's uh, I mean, it gets it really into the nitty gritty details of boils and pus and pustules and hair coming out of pustules on the skin eruptions. <laughs> it, it's the nitty gritty, which. 
I'm sorry, you guys. I don't. I don't know if it's early when you're listening to it. It's a little bit too early for that here. Wow, man. I'm but just, that's what that's what Leviticus is getting down and dirty with. What's our responsorial? <laughs> response to that is responsorial. Resp- uh, Psalm 32 <laughs> verses one through two, five and eleven, and our response itself is coming from seven. Turn to you. I turn to you, Lord, in time of trouble, in time of boils and pustules, <laughs> which is also known as puberty. So, um, or leprosy. <laughs> People did, did. You know, one of the things I discovered in my my research for this podcast is the, the Hebrew word for leprosy in Leviticus is very broad, and it can apply to a whole lot of things. Um, so I wonder if it could apply to puberty. Dude, I I think that unclean. I think that you know how they have those like images on the internet where um where it's like is this a blue dress or a gold dress, and everybody's oh, yeah, debating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that dude, I think they should have that one puberty or leprosy. <laughs> Oh, okay, First oh. Corinthians ten thirty one to eleven one. Our, yeah. our gospel is Mark chapter one verses forty through forty five. Forty five. Forty five. I really, despite popular opinion and and what we've sort of presented ourselves as this morning, I really don't want to talk about pustules very no, no, much. No. If, if seriously is making me like every single time you're saying it, there's this part of there's me something that's about like, that word, which I'll I'll stop using. The, the Bible likes to use the word eruption. Man, so we'll but that. that's like a different, that's like a state of change, man. That's, uh, like, a, that's like a different thing. I, I, you might be onto something with the state of change. Let's, let's dig into these eruptions and we'll, we'll explore. <laughs> okay. It's like, what, why does this matter? Why is it even here? Like, this is the inspired, inerrant word of God. And we're talking about pustules. Right. And, but, but, and I like that because it, we have to reckon with those things. The scriptures are messy. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll use you, that word. You, you know, it's like I look, I look at this, and what I what I'm seeing is um, a group of people who are just. I'm going to tell you what I'm seeing <laughs> because you're about to get deep and theological. All I, what I'm seeing is some poor person on, showing up at mass on Sunday. They've had a, a a big morning, bunch of stuffs going on. They know that they signed up to lecture. They haven't read the readings yet. Oh. They're showing up in the giant packed church. And they read, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, if someone has on his skin a scab or pustule or a blotch, which appears to be the sore of leprosy, isn't that a fun thought? Somebody was like, yeah, I signed up to lecture, but I didn't read it in advance. What? Oh, my goodness. I just like that. Sorry. Now go into your actual deep theological Dude, those those are some of my favorite moments is unprepared (laughs) lectures. This, what, what I what I love about this is that it's like it gives you a really clear sense of how primitive civilization is actually right now. And this is why I think it's important that we have to reckon with a, a scripture passage like this today. There are people who will look at this and be like, oh, these foolish, backwards, ancient people who didn't know how to deal with these things. And so they have to have all these ridiculous prescriptions because they didn't have a good dermatologist and they're so... Primitive in the negative. I don't think you're saying. I mean, civilizations grow. But I can see people looking at this and be like, oh, this is so silly. Like, I can't believe people would have to do this because they're so backwards, which is to miss actually the deeper reason as to why they have to do this. Well, this is is what I was saying is is, uh, depending on the introduction – you, there's one word that describes a lot of things. Yeah, I don't think we said, I think we just said that with each other before we started. Oh, okay. Yeah, so the word that's actually used in Hebrew for, for leprosy. So there is, um, le- how, what is the actual name of, there's a disease that um, leprosy has a more proper name, and I can't remember what it is. I can't either. I, um, but, but the word that's actually used there 
can mean a lot of different things. It's pretty broad. <laughs> I was reading, I was doing a word study, and even if you have dry rot in your house, the word for leprosy can actually be used. It, it's pretty, <laughs> you know, you have moldy socks, and the word for leprosy can be used. So it's a pretty broad word in a lot of ways. Um, but uh, it's, uh, oh, it's the word uh, sara'at. Sara'at can mean a whole lot of things. And the actual leprosy, Hansen's disease is what we what we call biblical leprosy is what's called Hansen's disease, which is almost non-existent today, um, which is actually a really severe disease that was highly contagious and that could even come to the point where you could literally lose limbs could fall off because it was so bad and it ate apart the body so much to such a degree. So um, there's different levels, which is partly what, what Leviticus is trying to, to determine. Let's discern what's actually happening here. But, but so there's practicality. And so part of this is that, you know, someone who has leprosy is essentially cut off from the community, which means they can't have contact with anyone, which on one level, there's a practical good in that they won't be able to spread the disease in the same way. Right. So there's right. a practicality to that. But, but the deeper theological meaning of Leviticus, I think, is important to know. So, so that's one thing. And that, that's true. But there's a much deeper meaning. So leprosy is kind of easy in, in the uh, Sada'at is easy to sort of put aside because it's gross and it's weird. But if you remember, the, the, one of the reasons Leviticus gets such a bad rap is that there's a whole lot of different things that could make a person, quote-unquote, ritually unclean, right? Which is this category that Leviticus gives. And what makes a person ritually unclean or makes something ritually unclean... So, so you know, there are certain... Um, you know, if you, if, you, if you come in contact with anything dead, if you, if you kill a fly... You are ritually unclean. If you have bodily bodily discharge of some kind, some of which are perfectly natural and just happen to us all the time, you are ritually unclean. And so sometimes people look at Leviticus and be like, oh, it's so anti-woman or it's anti-whatever and it's so backwards. Um, and it's to miss the point because to be ritually unclean does not mean... You know, why? Because there's a diminution of something leaving my body. So any, any contact with death and bleeding actually is life leaving the body in some way. That participates in death. The reason that your ritual, it has nothing to do with moral standing. This is not a moral clean or unclean kind of a thing. But in Leviticus, there's this weird, seemingly harsh prescription that anything that is associated or related to death makes a person ritually unclean, which means simply they cannot have access to the temple. Why? Because they're mean and they hate people who bleed or, you know, whatever. No, none of those things are true. It's because the temple was built. Now, we're living in the period after original sin when the world is now broken, but before Jesus has come to redeem it. So we're in this weird in-between moment where the temple was commanded by God to be built, the tabernacle where God dwells. And the idea was the temple was to represent a time. It was to represent the Garden of Eden. It was meant to be a microcosm of the earth as it was supposed to be, which was the earth without death in the way that we experience it. Therefore, nothing that participates in death, which is a result ultimately of sin, is allowed to enter into the temple precincts. Which is kind of funny, is that I'm because I'm listening. Okay, let's. That's cool. Except for priests, like are butchering animals and turtle doves and. All this and like, and I mean, and there's there's right. all sorts right. of stuff. Where, yes. Whereas, like, the temple is filled with death. It's a it's a paradox. It is a pair of docs. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, the, both of those things are true. Right. Exactly. It's just it's it, simultaneously. 
and and so I, I mean, in a certain sense, we're not going to concern ourselves today with going through all the temple worship, or we could. But no, like, I don't think we should. But because I mean, because, because we, what what we're trying to figure out and what we're trying to live with is this leprosy and this ritual uncleanness, which which is nothing more than a world which says and and a god that commands the people of God to say, look. The world is not as it should be. Mm. And we need an icon built into our very lives that reminds us that the world is not as it should be. It does not function as it's supposed to function. And it will not always be this way. Mm. Death is not supposed to be a part of the picture. And sin is not supposed to be a part of the picture. So there's there's this way in which the animal sacrifice, which is this idea that... Um, sins need to be atoned for and we need to reconcile and actually make right what has gone wrong and animal sacrifice participates in that in this weird way this this idea of shedding of blood to make atonement for sin but at the same time a recognition that that's not really the way it's supposed to be because death was not supposed to be here there wasn't supposed to be you, you don't see an animal killed in the bible until after original sin and it's actually god who does it the first animal who sacrificed in the Bible is by God to clothe Adam and Eve as an act of mercy. Mm. And so God shows mercy through all of these things. But all of Leviticus is basically showing that the world is not as it should be. And giving us rules to try to reconcile a broken world that is going to be redeemed someday. Mm. And to try to get us to think outside of the world as it is. Does that make any sense? Is that too abstract and esoteric? Nope, not too abstract. Not okay, too good. Ex- but so it's, exoteric. It's too easy to write off something like Leviticus and be like, oh, this is so silly and weird and creepy, but it's to miss actually the point. We're not supposed to participate in death, yet we do every day. And there's things that happen in our lives every day that participate in death. And the Lord is reminding us that that will not always be the case. And so, you know, if a woman gives birth to a child, there's a lot of fluids that participate in that. They're not allowed in the temple precinct because there is a life that's gone out of their body. But, you know, scholars have actually gone back and said, wow, isn't it interesting that the Hebrew people, these Israelites, they commanded that a new a mother with a newborn child not go into the temple precincts for, you know, this prescribed period of time. Isn't it funny how infant mortality rates are like shockingly low in Israel in that time compared to the rest of the world. Oh, is it because they actually kind of sequestered mothers and their newborn children under the, the you know, the, the veil of ritual impurity or ritual uncleanness, but it actually protected both the mother and the child and it actually saved all of their lives? How interesting that actually God brings mercy out of these kind of seemingly harsh rules. Hmm. I don't know. Just I throw that out hmm. that there's more than meets the eye. Transformers. <laughs> More than it's the eye. All right. That takes us to the responsorial psalm. Oh, by the way, we, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't leave the fact that one of the prescriptions for those who have leprosy and these, these diseases, um, you shall muffle their, muffle their beard. You got to muffle your beard. Dude, I, I, I was looking at that. I was like, yeah, man, I, I think people wish I would muffle more than just my beard. <laughs> <laughs> but they also have to cry out. They have to declare unclean. They have to declare themselves having been unclean, which I just want to take note of that because I think that theme comes back in the gospel. Yes, Not the uncleanness, but the crying out of it right. is interesting to me. And they have to uh, yeah, be declared unclean. Later on, it'll talk about the priests actually now have authority, the only authority to declare them clean or unclean. And, but I want to pay, take note of that. So, uh, And they have to, to dwell apart outside of the camp. They can't be a part of the community. Okay, yep. That takes us to the psalm. So basically the first read, and it's... I tell you what, I was thinking about this this morning as I was making coffee. It was one of those um, 
How we're much, not even. How in, much coffee did you make? A by lot the way? of coffee. I can't tell. We're not in Lent yet, and yet all of the first readings from the last few weeks have been pretty dark. We've got Job. We've got Leviticus. We've got life is hard and brutal and unrelenting and unclean. Mm. And I'm like, we're not even in Lent yet. <laughs> we're we're being prepared for, like, the world is hard. I know, man. But unless you realize how ugly the world can seem, the freedom that Christ offers us in it's not going to be as. Um, it, it still is efficacious, but we're not going to see how great it is right. unless we see how dark um, the problem actually is. We won't see the glory of the solution. Well, well, this is the thing. In any good story, in any good drama, the the antagonist and the protagonist, so the hero and the enemy, yep. um, uh, the strength of the hero is only, um, is only measured by the strength of the enemy. Say that again. The strength of the hero is only measured by the strength, strength of, of the, the enemy. enemy. So, so what happens is, a, as a as a what weak, if they are the same person. A weak bad guy, okay, is a weak hero. Makes for a weak hero, right? Because you're like, oh yeah, yeah, anybody could have done that. You're like, whereas is somebody who's compelling and difficult, and you go like, mm. ah, like and like it makes you nervous. Is this gonna happen? Interesting. Is is Frodo gonna get rid of the ring? Right, right, and right. And you're like, and you're looking, and that mm. ring is a terrible enemy, and you're like, uh. and you're nervous, and then you're like, ah, what's gonna happen? And like, well, you, you know, you look and you say like the equivalence, and that's mm. why when you know you look at like a, a couple of those Spider-Man movies where <laughs> you're looking and you're like. This this enemy is stupid. What a dumb mask. <laughs> Seriously, you know, yeah. or or you look at um the 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 Batman movie where what's his name died. Um, Robin. No, <laughs> do, <laughs> no I don't do know. not talk about that. The one with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Robin. The that Batman movie. I didn't see it. Oh, dude, with the frozen stuff, man. Talk about a bad movie. The enemy was the movie itself. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, but you look and you say, okay, so that's why what's being built is this whole expression that we're getting the terms of the enemy laid out for us. What's the enemy? Death itself. Right, and that's the that's the trick. I mean, we're tempted to think the enemy is Satan, and yes, he is an enemy. Absolutely, make make no mistake, and that's clear in scriptures. But he's not the enemy. The enemy is death itself, right. which Satan is, is, you know, threatens us with and throws in our faces, and you know. But but that's where that's why Leviticus is such a beautiful book, because you're reading it and you're like, this is crazy, and there's just death and and grossness and injury and blah. But it's laying out who the enemy actually is, and it's making it clear. So Leviticus is a book to be struggled with, because it's, it's describing the terms of the fight. Mm. This is who our fight is with. And these are the effects that our, our enemy actually has. And they're inescapable. And they seem inevitable. And they're overwhelming, right? Yep. And that's a really... Mm, mm, <laughs> and just, so, in response... I just keep on wanting to sing that song from Rage Against the Machine. No, you're enemy! And just, like, rock out, man. You should. And then Maybe I turn to week. you, Lord, in time of trouble, and you'll fill me with the joy of salvation. That 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 there's a certain sense that that the whole of death and struggle actually leads to the truth of the protagonist and the joy of salvation. Which, I mean, I, as you're saying it, I don't want to sound. I don't know how this sounds. Uh, yeah, obviously, of course, but but I think of that as a Christian. And I'm like, yeah, right. I see that. But I mean, in the time of Leviticus, we get a couple thousand years before that's going to show up. And you're like, 
who is going to like death is everywhere. This is just this is too much. Mm. And then you got a psalm that's like, I turn to you, Lord, in time of trouble. What's the time of trouble? All of it. There is just trouble. And look at these people suffering and there's disease and there's there's diminution of life everywhere. I'm trying to turn to you, but how are you going to fix this? And that's, again, a great story is where you actually are looking at the enemy. You're looking at the antagonist and you're like, how is the hero going to fix this? Right. Like, how are they going to save these people? Right. And that's, I think, what the psalm is saying. Yeah, it's going to happen. But it leaves you with this. Again, as a Christian, in hindsight, you're like, oh, yeah, totally. Christ has totally saved us. But, you know. A couple thousand years prior to that, you know, a thousand years before that, the time of Leviticus, you're like, oh my gosh, what, what are you going to, how are you going to do that? How do you defeat death itself? That's doesn't make any sense. Mm. But yet that, and I don't, I don't think anybody saw it in those terms. What is the enemy? Well, Satan's the enemy of these political oppressors are the enemy, whatever, fill in the blank is the enemy. I think what people missed in all of salvation history is, no, we missed who the enemy actually was. And so we've been spending all of our time fighting the wrong enemy. Mm. And Lord, you're the only one that can actually defeat the real enemy. You know, I, I look at this, I look at this line. It says, I acknowledge my sin to you, my guilt I covered not like my beard. I said, <laughs> uh, I confess my faults to the Lord and you took away the guilt of my sin. Mm. Interesting. I, I just look at that and it's, the guilt is gone, but not necessarily the sin. See, that, that's guilt actually... Guilt is gone, but not necessarily... Oh, that's, which is what animal sacrifice in the Old Testament would do. Right. It, 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 it was good, but it did not atone for sin. I mean... It, it atoned it, it, it for atoned sin. But it did not remove the sin itself. And it could not give you the power to not sin again. Right. And it, and it also did not defeat death. Yes, exactly. You yeah. know, like... It, it, but, but yet there's intonations that by death, death will be defeated. Which is crazy. Which is crazy, but but that's like, how would you even, you know, yeah, intuit that? So you, <laughs> that's that's the thing you can't. Right. But um, the gospel pre pre not premeditates precipitates pre pre it 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 shows something before. <laughs> we'll get there. Okay. First <laughs> Corinthians. Okay, here we go again. Wild card second reading. You're like, what do you do with this? <laughs> so I was reading second, or First Corinthians, second reading, trying to think of how this actually fits. And take this for what you will. So, so this is Paul dealing with the church, and there, there is an immediate context to this, right? Corinthian, the, the Corinth, the Corinthian, the Corinthians. <laughs> my goodness, it's a mixture of a lot of tiredness and a lot of coffee, and yeah. it's coming out in weird ways. Dude, if you can't say it, sing it. The Corinthians are a disaster. So the, the church in Corinth, <laughs> They're dealing with all these sins. I'm actually going through First Corinthians with the focus team right now, and just because I don't know if there's a better epistle in the New Testament that embodies us in our culture and our society. Yes, and how decadent they are sexually, and how ignorant they are, and how divided they are, and just it's how just deeply a they are into sports. They're very deeply into sports, um, but they're a disaster, and they think that they're amazing. Mm. And Paul's trying to show them, no, you're not as wise as you all think you are. Um, anyway, there, so there is a lot of context, and one of the things he's dealing with in this section is this question of meat offered to idols, and wh- what do you do if there's, you know, there's this food, there's animal sacrifice offered to these other gods that actually are not God, and is that food tainted, and how do we, it really it's this, and I don't want to go into that, but really it's this question of how do I actually interact in the world? How do I deal with my pagan neighbors? How do I actually act as an icon of Christ to them in these situations that I don't really know what to do with. Right. Um, but in that context, Paul says, brothers and sisters, whether you eat or drink, whatever you, or, or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. 
Avoid giving offense, whether to Jews or Gen- uh, Jews or Greeks or the Church of God, just as I try to please everyone in every way, not seeking my own benefit, but that of the many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So, okay, here's my wild thought on this. And again, that has a context. He's saying, be conscious with how you interact with your brothers and sisters. And he, he, he says, please everyone. He's not, it's not about people pleasing. It's saying, I actually want to be all things to all people. I want to be relatable to everyone so right. I can share the gospel. But I, I keep going back. So yeah, there's, there's a context and we can talk about that on its own terms. But then you got to deal with it. The church asks us to deal with it on the terms of Leviticus. And you're like, well, how do you do that? And I just keep reading that line. Um, I keep having things pop up on my screen. That line, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it. That's the iconic statement from this. And how do you relate to the first reading? Well, what are you asked to do in the first reading? Well, if you're bleeding or if you have leprosy, you're supposed to yell out unclean and feel the shame and all this stuff. Everything you do, do it for the glory of God. Can I bear leprosy for the glory of God? Mm. Can I deal with my... Yeah. Ritually un- ritual uncleanness for the glory of God? Mm. Can I cry out to all my friends and neighbors that I can't have contact with you for the glory of God? That, that sounds very weird, but he says do everything for the glory of God. And in and of itself, that would make absolutely no sense unless you had a gospel reading with someone who has leprosy who uses it for the glory of God. Mm. And then the gospel gives you the answer to that. Does that yes, make any sense? Absolutely. I don't, I'm not trying to stretch it too much, but no, no, no. I think that there's got to be something. I mean, the, the the essence. I mean, you're you're also seeing it. I mean, as a as a Christian, because we're in First Corinthians, mm. um, that unless you take up your cross daily and be my disciple, you cannot follow me. And yeah. and like we have we it has been revealed to us. We're in the New Testament that the fact of the matter is that we know that the tools of the enemy can be turned upon him with no hesitation. What are the tools of the enemy? Death. Right. And what then, is the enemy? Satan. And well, the enemy is death. Death. So yes. the tools of the enemy can be turned against him. Death can have death turned against it. Right. Sorry, and, just what you said is actually really poetic. Yeah. I don't want to I don't want to miss it. Yeah, and that's where that's where like so so do everything for the glory of God. It means that like we eat and we drink and we move through the world knowing that the potency of grace is infused into the world because the victory of Christ is won. Yeah. And we claim that Christ and we claim uh, we claim that victory. We claim Christ in all instances. I mean, I, I, I used to think like I was talking to somebody the other day about how like it used to be really hard for me to like, like mention Jesus outwardly, like. I've always believed. I've always yeah. loved the Lord. But in, yeah. when I was in college, I remember it was like I got around a bunch of pagans and I just didn't know how to, I didn't know how to express myself. Right. And I was really afraid to because I thought that they were going to think that I was this backwoods, yeah. you know, like yokel uh, that, that was that was just, I mean, medieval is kind of cool now with the hipster now revolution. Cool. You know what I'm saying? But like, like. You hung out with goths. They always liked medieval stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh that is totally absurd woodsy things well i mean i was in art school in college which is not as quite the same not not quite the same but um whereas like being like claim there's this moment of shift where you claim the victory of christ in your life and you become unabashed 
and you say, you know what, I'm not going to worry about it because the life I live is no longer my own, and I li- the life I live is Christ's, and so yeah. that's where it's like I get, I you know what, I can do everything for the glory of God, and there's no shame in it. And in fact, it's actually saving and potent. And when you turn into the fact that you, that we live in a po- we live potent lives, it's mm. the it's the very best. We are not oozing the pus from our pustules; we're oozing the grace of God. Right. And- that was too far, wasn't it? It was. But okay. but like I, I still like the I don't like that. Yeah. Never mind. I, Nobody does. Sorry, you guys. Okay. Um but you're you're setting this up perfectly. You know, but you know you're doing. Um okay, so we're we're in the gospel. And and I, I like I love it when from week to week we follow literally off of where we left off last time. Yeah. Which is what Mark has been doing at least the last three weeks, which well, I like. Well, what's nice is that Mark's short, so we can do that. You can do that. So if you remember last week, Jesus was getting swarmed. He healed uh, Simon's mother-in-law. Everyone's like, ah! they're all attacking him. <laughs> he goes off. He's trying to pray off in the woods. They find him. He's like, fine, let's go. And he, he's just healing everybody. So it's in the midst of that that we read a leper came to Jesus, naturally. Well, no, not naturally. Even that first line, like to read that as a first century Jew, but a first century Middle Eastern, you know, ancient Near Eastern person, that first line in and of itself, we miss it. How shocking and not even countercultural, but unthinkable that is. A leper came to Jesus. Where do lepers, where are lepers supposed to be? Away from everyone. It Shouting is, it and is unclean outside of the town. Outside of the camp. You don't approach people. Number one, just because... Everyone knows it's so, um, what's the word? Uh, contagious. Contagious. That it's just on a practical level. Like, you, you can't approach people. Not to mention the fact that you're going to make them ritually unclean if you come in contact. So, you know, from, from, a, from a religious, societal, Jewish point of view, what this guy is doing is, is kind of a jerk move. <laughs> you approach somebody and you're going to make them ritually unclean. You might give them a disease. It's like... I, I don't know what, what's the it's not the right it's not the right analogy but you know you it's the flu it's you like, have it's the, like flu. the flu right now you come to mass anyway when you're like I'm really really sick but I'm still gonna go to mass because I should go and then you receive from the cup and you're like you, you get your slobber all over you shake hands with everybody at the sign of peace you sneeze in people's faces right it's it's not the right analogy but you're just like dude what is wrong with you like chill out he's like up in everybody's face right but well, not in everybody's face it's in Jesus's face he says he came to Jesus he knelt down. He begged him and he said, if you wish, I think this is a significant line. If you wish, you can do what? Do you remember? You're not looking at your screens. Make me clean. What do you expect him to say? Heal me. Yeah. He doesn't say, if you wish, you can heal me of this terrible, painful, debilitating disease. He says, if you wish, you can make me ritually clean. It's a religious terminology. He's going back to Leviticus. He's not merely concerned with Mm. his bodily infirmity. He wants ritual cleanness. He wants to be in touch with God and the people. He wants to be in touch with God and the people, which that's a huge insight into this guy. He doesn't just ask for healing. He asks for cleanness. Which actually is huge because what that implies is that there's an acknowledgement of the priesthood of Christ. Absolutely. Because it's the priests. You go to the priests to declare you clean. Which he still will have to do. Yeah. So Jesus doesn't supersede that yet. Because he, he'll still go through the system. So, yeah, make me clean. Moved with pity. Jesus is moved with pity. He stretched out his hand and he touched him. And just, Which he just, did, totally did not need to do. Let's be honest about that. But why does he do it? I mean, I, I don't know the answer for sure. But I'm thinking to myself, I mean, here he's in some town. He's probably got his crew around him. There's this leper. There's probably people get, they're like, 
oh my gosh, this leper, he's coming to the town. Like he's approaching somebody. Everybody else I bet gathered around. Dude, like what is going to happen? Is this, it's just going to flip out on this guy? Everybody's looking at this. And I think he's, you know what, if you, if you ask me, I think he stretches out his hand to demonstrate his power over death. Absolutely. He does it because everyone sees it. Jesus isn't big on like making a show. But he wants everyone to witness what he's going to do. They're like, because, no, he didn't. Well, everyone's like, no, don't touch, don't touch him. Yeah, you're like, whoa. He, you, he's like, if you wish, he, he's like, well, I do wish. I All do right, wish. see you later. And I'm going to touch you. So I will make me clean, be made clean. He says, and it says the the leprosy left him immediately, and he was made clean. And it says, then warning him sternly, he dismissed him at once. Now, scholars don't know what... To, I'm just going to pause on that for a second. Scholars don't know what to do with that line. Because then it says, he said to him, go and see that you tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest. So that the priest... Because again, Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm going to submit to the law of Leviticus, which says the Levitical priest... I'm a, I'm a different kind of priest. Right. But you, you have the Levitical system, and the Levitical priest has to declare you unclean because... Jesus is is making this man right, but he also wants him to be made right with his community. So go to the leadership of your community so that you can formally be welcomed back in. But he says that line, warning him sternly, he dismissed him at once. And then it says he talks to this guy and says, go show the priest. So, you know, I mean, I, I look at that and it's like, okay, go. <laughs> yeah, but but he doesn't, it doesn't seem like he's talking to the leper. And so what some scholars think, and take this for whatever you will, is that he actually performed a mini exorcism right there. Because, and and how do I say this? He dismissed, warned, he dismissed, he warned him sternly. I forget what the language is, oh. but it's, it's strong language. And he dismissed him at once. Get out of here. And then he turns to the guy and he's like, okay, now you. Don't tell anybody, go show the priest. Because there's this idea, and, and part of it is, I don't want to relegate it to ignorance. You know, there, there was an understanding in the ancient world that, illness, infirmities, all these things had to do with demonic possession, which we know is not medically true. But what it speaks to is the deeper reality that, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that everybody who's sick has a demon. But what it means is that the fact that there is sickness and death and brokenness is an evil reality. It's because of sin, which has to do with the demonic. And Jesus is doing a little mini exorcism in this way because he's showing his mastery not over, not only over the created order, but over the spiritual realms that have sort of taken us captive. And so I wonder about that. Hmm. And scholars aren't quite sure what to do. But he, he does this because, again, it's not necessarily that this is a demoniac, but that there is... And evil, the evil one is associated with these things that have broken our world. And mm. he's associated with these things. And that's all of which Jesus came to heal. Right. So I just throw that out. And then he says to this guy, yeah, go show the priest. Um, but he says, don't tell anybody except the priest, which is interesting because then the guy goes away and he says he began to publicize the whole matter. Literally, he yells it out to everyone. Literally in the Greek, it says he preached a lot. <laughs> Which I think is, uh, we try to you know, we, make it sound we public, Publicize. <laughs> right. He, he did a lot of preaching, which, so there's a couple things going on. There, there's this concept in Mark called the messianic secret, where Jesus tends to tell lots of people, don't tell anyone. And usually when he says, don't tell anybody, they always tell everybody. And then some people, he's like, go tell everyone. And they usually don't tell, no tell anybody. And it tends to have to do with where he is. Jesus knows that. Once word gets out that he is claiming to be the Messiah, and not just the Messiah, but the Son of God, then once 
uh, Herod finds out about this, once Caesar finds out about this, once the Roman authorities find out about this, they're going to recognize, wait a second, this guy's performing an act of treason. This is a rebellion. We got to squash this. Right. So Jesus is keeping his identity veiled for a time until he knows the moment he's going to let it all hang out. But he knows once he let it, lets it all hang out, he's going to the cross. Right. So he's like, just, you got to keep this quiet for a while. But what I find interesting is that the guy's response is he's doing the opposite of Leviticus. In Leviticus, you're supposed to declare and cry out that you're unclean. He's experienced the moment of being made clean and made right. And the only thing he can do is the antithesis of Leviticus, which is I have to declare and cry out that I'm clean, mm. which I think is there's something beautiful. Like he's a little bit disobedient to Jesus. Right. But at the same time, there's a beautifulness of like, I can't, I can't not tell everybody. Right. And I have to shout it. But here's the thing. Here, here's the bottom. Here's the punchline. Um, in the in the law of Leviticus and the way that all of these things work, the uncleanness is spread through contact. What Jesus is, so you'd expect if a leper touches Jesus, not only might he get leprosy, but he's going to be ritually unclean. Right. What Jesus is literally embodying in his body is the reversal and the undoing of the Old Testament law. Right. He embodies that that law, you know, it's supposed to move directionally toward uncleanness to making Jesus unclean. But Jesus' perfect cleanliness, cleanness, ritually, morally, religiously, is transferred and he literally redirects back onto this guy. Right. He reverses the direction of the entirety of Levitical law. Right. Onto this guy because he embodies its end. Um, but the other thing that I find interesting, and I'll, I'll stop talking here and then you can make it tangible to everyone's lives. <laughs> but it says, you know, this guy, he preached a lot. He spread the report. And because he preaches to everybody and he's so loudmouthed about being made clean, what happens? Jesus, it says, had to remain outside in the desert places. Because everybody's like, he's touching these leprous guys. And he's being attacked. And I, so I bet some people are probably freaked out. Some people are like, you got it. He's just being swarmed. And as a result, he has to go outside of the city and essentially be an ostracized in a way. Which what's happened? To cry out unclean, unclean almost. He's ta- Well, he's taken on the plight of this guy yes who was cast out and now because he's healed him yeah he didn't become unclean but now he's taken on his plight it's it's a, it. it's a prefigurement of the cross exactly right and it's a prefigurement of the ultimate death because again what is leprosy it's the embodiment of death right he has reversed death he's undone death which is prefigurement was the word i was looking for earlier it's a prefigurement obviously of what he's going to do on the cross which is it was just so interesting because that now is the lives we live. I mean, if you, you if you like Flannery O'Connor, you you know you could She's say a little dark, but I like Temp, Temple of the Holy Spirit, man. That's what we become. Mm. And like so, so what's really really interesting is that this is the con- we're meant to be in the continuation in this ministry. Yes, that's like what we do, which is really really interesting because it's so easy. And it's so tempting to go back to the old school ways of saying unclean, unclean. Right. You encounter like like the, the, there's there's a you know the quote unquote Catholic bubble that we can get caught into. Yeah. And you can say, man, I don't want to, I don't want to get tainted by the world. I don't know how to engage mm. this world because it's gonna, it's gonna get, leave leave me messy. Yeah. And versus and like that's actually precisely why we spend time in the mysteries. Why we go and we encounter the Lord of life because we know who the Lord of life is. It's, it's out of the primary encounter with Christ that from that we, we go so that we understand ourselves that that reversal, that it's not that others make us unclean, but that we bring the cleanliness and the purity of God outward 
is actually an essential ministry of our lives. I was, uh, so a lot of my job, you know, is, is meeting with students and helping them work through things that are happening on campus, right? And, and yeah. dealing with theological questions. And so I had a student who's like, you know, I'm in this law class and they're talking about legal positivism. Can you help me articulate natural law? And so we talked, and, but there was this other girl and I, it's, I do stuff like that all the time, but there was this girl I, I talked to a couple of weeks ago. She was like, I'm in this gender theory class and I really want to be able to understand and wrap my mind around and articulate what the church says. And there was a part of me <laughs> there was a part, we had this long conversation and I was actually almost brought to tears afterwards because there was a part of me that wanted to be like, and she's like the sweetest girl in the world. And I wanted to be like, why are you in a gender theory class? But it actually comes back to exactly what you're saying. And she's like, no, I'm, I'm in this class because I want to show people that we Catholics don't, you know, we actually love everybody. <laughs> we love people. We have something to say. And I actually want to be a witness to that. So she chose to be in a gender theory class, which there's, I mean, and I just bring that up because I think there's a lot of people in the quote unquote Catholic bubble who'd be like, oh, what? I, I think I even shared this anecdotally with somebody and they were like, oh my gosh, stupid gen, you know, what idiots, you know, is one of those kind of reactions, which was not her reaction. Right. I was like, no, I, I'm going to be in this class and I'm going to try as best as I can to be a witness to it. It's not unclean, you know, because that's how we associate it. Like, oh, those people over there doing their thing. And it was, I, I, and it, she, she thanked me for talking through things. And I had to just turn me like, well, thank you. I, I'm not in the class. <laughs> like, I don't have to go. I, I get to sit here and get my books and documents and have a, conversation, have a conversation with you. But you're the one who actually has to go in the midst of this and be a light. And she was even saying, you know, there was a student who's like, I, I never knew, you know, I never knew what Catholics thought about that. Like, thanks for sharing that. That's actually really interesting to me. And I'm like, that's, that's a huge deal. Yeah, and, and it's just precisely the time that we are meant to engage and to be um, willing to see and to see everything because it's it's actually like what is what is our job but to bring bring all things to Christ mm. and whatever we do we do it in the name of the Lord yeah so that's like so dude it's it's just it's just beautiful Corinthians and, way way to bring it home hey thanks I just, I just yeah, saw what you did there. Yeah, and like it's it's just beautiful because what what does Christ do? He doesn't shun anything. Christ just right. Christ just he he takes the he just takes it on and he says I will bear this. Yes, and like and 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 it causes some really big inconvenience for him, <laughs> for everybody actually. Anyway, well, having listened <sighs> to this podcast, you are now ritually unclean. No, so they're not. They've I'm, been made clean. I'm well, not, not by us, <laughs> by the just Lord, go, yeah. who is is the Word who we just uh, try to echo. We try to catechize. Mm, we don't. Yes, re-echo is the word catechesis. I didn't actually know. That. Yeah, it's to re-echo. So we're just catechize. Catechize. Maybe it's like the Lord, the Lord. <laughs> Everything yeah, yeah. you do, yeah, you're you're right, right. Right. It's the name of the Lord. <laughs> Okay, we love you guys. Bye. We'll see you next week. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.